0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is July the 19th, 2021. It's Monday morning, an early Monday morning for me, 8.30 a.m. Uh, Over the weekend, I saw an interesting movie, Uh, the new movie about the life of Anthony Bourdain. It was called, or it is called Roadrunner. Uh, It's a film about Anthony Bourdain, his life and untimely uh, death. Um, It's an attempt to understand, according to the New York Times, uh, a documentary seeking to understand uh, Anthony Bourdain and his, uh, as I said, his untimely uh, uh, death. Uh, He died a couple of years ago, age 61. And when I was watching the movie, it occurred to me that the, the issue, or one of the issues at least with Bourdain, was that he hadn't figured out or he was struggling to figure out what he wanted to be when he got old. So it's appropriate this morning that I'm talking to someone who just has a new book out entitled, Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old? Um, It's Richard uh, Lyder. He's one of the authors, co-author actually of the book. Uh, Richard, um, I'm not sure, have you seen the the Bourdain movie? I have not. I'm now triggered to want to
1: see it for sure.
0: I think you'd be interested in it because Bourdain, again, I I know he had a lot of issues and and I don't want to I don't want to sort of make him the, the focus of this, this conversation, uh, particularly on, 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 in terms of his mental illnesses. Um, but it seemed as if in the narrative, he was struggling to become old. Um, and he seemed to sort of epitomize his generation, my generation. You remember the generation that the who wrote about, uh, Who who wanted to die before they got Mm -hmm. old. Uh, Richard, you're of a a slightly older generation from uh, Bourdain. Uh, To to what extent is your book, uh, what do you want to be when you grow old? Is it a a generational book for a particular generation, your generation, my generation, the generation Y or Z, or, or, or is this issue of getting old? Is it the same for all generations.
1: Uh, it's, the answer would be both. Uh, the book is age agnostic. What we found is that there's midlife and younger readers and there's people who are in the uh, second or third act uh, in, in, in life. And the point, uh, Andrew, is we're all getting old. There's no question about that. That's not a choice. But growing old. Is a choice you choose, and he made a choice for. And as you said wisely, there's a lot of reasons why, perhaps that we don't we don't know about. But it's been uh, let's see about 47 years since the book passages came out, which defined midlife in a new way and was in the public discourse for many years there needed to be, we believe, uh, David Shapiro, my co-author and I, a new narrative about uh, getting and growing, the distinction between getting and growing uh, older. And one more point is that in early 1900s, the average life expectancy in this country, in the US it is, was uh, around age 47. Now, the fastest growing cohort is 85 and over, and many people have added three decades with some luck and some genetics, et cetera, to their their lives. And so what's the point of the exercise? What's the new narrative for positive aging? Uh, We needed a new story.
0: Richard, without wishing myself to sound like too much of an old fart, we often go back to (laughs) the Republic in this book. And for those people who have read Plato's Republic, if you haven't, Mm -hmm. you need to read it, there's a wonderful passage at the beginning (laughs) in which um, Plato or perhaps Socrates talk about the issues of getting old and why old people aren't sufficiently respected in their culture. Is this a a perennial theme uh, throughout the history of the world that age has never really been respected, or is it a particular feature of modernity, of, uh, of, uh, of advanced Western society?
1: Wow, Andrew, you really do your homework. Um, I think it's um, because of uh, back then, I'm not sure what the life expectancy was, but it was probably in the 30s, maybe in the 40s, uh, and some of those wise elders like Plato and uh, etc. held out um, wisdom for all generations. I think, you know, my co-author is a philosophy professor in Seattle. Yeah, and we've uh, done David
0: a, Shapiro, right? David,
1: David Shapiro, Shapiro. Yeah, and we've done a deep dive into uh, purposeful aging from back in the so- uh, Socratic and Plato era. Uh, Era uh, forward. And I think right now the, the big uh, paradox of aging and the para, per, uh, paradox of purposeful aging is that this new phase of life in, that we write about here can be the happiest and often is the happiest, most fulfilling time of life, not the decline that is often associated with ageism and the, the old uh, narrative. And so uh, David and I wrote a bestseller, one of our books. This is our sixth book together. Uh, one of our bestsellers that sold over a million copies in 21 languages is called uh, Repacking Your Bags, Lighten Your Load for the Good Life. So we've actually studied the good life uh, over the last decade in in depth. And we've seen the good life... Uh, Narrative change, so the narrative that we postured and we built on in this book came from our repacking your bags, our original book, and the, the good life is living in the place you love, with the people you love, doing the work you love on purpose. So we took that into right, the so new, you're, um, new era.
0: I'm sort of I'm intrigued, uh, Richard, for you to to talk about this issue of purpose. Um, yeah. Your website is very purple, and um, in the middle of all this purpleness is uh, the, the challenge, the promise, the opportunity to unlock the power of purpose. Right. I assume this purpose is secular rather than religious. Define what you mean by purpose. Your previous mm-hmm. book was The Power of Purpose, which... Um, was a bestseller, as you said. Previous books um, along these yeah. themes, as you suggested earlier, right. life reimagined, work reimagined, uh, something to live for, claiming your place at the fire. All your books are about reclaiming purpose. But what exactly does that mean?
1: Right. Uh, thank you for the question. Purpose is uh, fundamental. It's not a luxury. I did a PBS special a few years ago, shown in 400 cities across the US. And one of the things that I did as part of that, uh, compliments of PBS was visit neuroscience labs across the country. And one of the neuroscientists that I visited, his name, his name is Dr. Majid Fatoui, who is an Iranian Johns Hopkins neuroscientist, held up a pill and he said, Richard, do you see this pill? He said, would you buy it? And here's what it does. This pill will reduce the effects of dementia and perhaps Alzheimer's, not erase it, but reduce its effects. It will uh, help with sleep apnea, will reduce macroscopic stroke by 41% and will add seven to 10 years to your life. Would you buy it? And I went, well, of course, who wouldn't, but who, is there one and could you afford it? And he smiled and he held up the pill and he said, well, you've been writing about it for decades, it's purpose. We now know purpose in the brain that actually having a why, W-H-Y, you know, the question, having a reason to get up in the morning, why do you do what you do, is uh, fundamental to health, to healing, to happiness, and ultimately to longevity. So purpose is the answer to the question, why? Why do you do what you do? And at different points in life, that obviously changes with circumstances and with health and with finances and with pandemics and and all of all of that and but it, it, it's but no wrap election. it up
0: richard uh, yeah. i don't mean wrap it up in the sense of ending it but um in um in a minute or two explain to someone who hasn't read your book what purpose is what it means how it can enrich their life
1: yeah purpose is is the answer to the why question and there's three fundamental the, there's a formula and it's about unlocking it, Andrew. It's not about discovering it out there or finding it. There's so it's purpose in all with... of us. It's
0: a question yeah, of unlocking. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right. Even, and, uh, and, even and, well, and... not
0: anymore, but Anthony Bourdain had yeah. it in him too.
1: Yeah, let me give you the formula. But before that, let me just say that the, this, that there's purpose with a big P and purpose with a small P. This book is about purpose with a small P. The big P is, oh, I have to have a cause. I have to have something beyond myself to save the world or the you know, whatever it is, purpose with a small p is is a mindset that you bring to every moment of every day. There's 1,440 purpose moments in a day. And the formula for unlocking purpose is p is, excuse me, g plus p plus v equals p. So using your gifts, the g, your, your most loved gifts, your talents, on p something you feel passionate or purposeful about in an environment that's healthy for you and fits you, the V, the values, equals purpose. So what I have done for decades with people is to help them unlock their gifts and use their gifts on something they really care about in an environment that fits who they are. And so um, that is Uh, it's not something that's just automatic that comes with a manual. You have to do some work. You have to do some reflection. You have to have some life experience or some pain. That's why so many people today, post-pandemic, post-pain, so to speak, are looking at their gifts, passions, and values to say, what else can I do with my life? Sometimes, final point, Andrew, uh, is that uh, sometimes we're pushed by pain, And sometimes we're pulled by possibility to look at our purpose. Pushed by pain means something happens in our life that causes us to go deeper and say, what's the point? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? Or pulled by possibility. We might hit a certain age or a certain stage in life where we look at what what we could do or might want to do. What are the real real, uh, possibilities?
0: There are so many more possibilities, perhaps in scientific or biological terms today than there were fifty, hundred, thousand years ago. We had um, Paula Stone Williams, uh, an evangelical Mm. figure who uh, has written a book called As a Woman about how she transitioned from male to female and and what it meant. Um, In terms of getting old, that possibility of biological reinvention in particular is very new how does that fit into your unlocking the power of purpose Do do some people like Hmm. uh, and I'm not sure if she's read your work Paula Stone Williams Do some people perhaps have in them even as they grow old another gender another sexual identity another way of being
1: Hmm. Hmm. you know you ask great questions and what I would say is this that the chapter in the book that gets the most grabbed, the most attention by people is, how do I stop living a default life? How do I stop living a default life? For many people, they live a default life. They kind of take what's dished out to them biologically uh, and where they live and how they live and how they grew up. And then they get to a point in their life where they say, uh-uh, that's not really me. And for many people, Uh, I'm not sure about the sexual identity uh, story of hers, but for many people, their work didn't, they didn't choose their work. It chose them. And all of a sudden they get to a certain point where they say, you know, this isn't really me. This isn't really what I wanted. My parents would only pay for me to go to law school, but I was really an artist, something like that. And so at a certain point in life, we have, as I said, pushed by pain or pulled by possibility. We push the the, uh, pause button and we look at, well, if I'm going to live another three decades, I'm not doing this, I'm not working here. I'm not living in this body or I'm not, you know, whatever it is. And so the, the key is how do I make that choice and how do I do it? You know, isolation is fatal. How do I do it with some support? Where do I get some support for this? And so a lot of people today are, are feeling lonely. Loneliness is an epidemic and uh, they're feeling like they're uh, alone with their default choice. They need to find support and uh, perhaps Paula Stone found support and that helped. I'm not sure. I have to read that.
0: Yeah, and you definitely need to see the Bourdain book because for sure, the the Bourdain movie, I think one of the astonishing things about the movie and his life was he was one of the best known figures in the world. He couldn't walk out in the street without being robbed. He was essentially a rock star, a a rock you know, the biggest celebrity cook, TV personality. And yet the more famous he became, the lonelier he became. And in the end, um, yeah, that's true. It reminds me, uh, Richard, there's one of my favorite songs is Bob Dylan's Tangled Up in Blue. Um, And he (laughs) writes, and when finally the bottom fell out, I became withdrawn. The only thing I knew how to do was to keep on keeping on like a bird that flew tangled up in blue. What you're saying is that you're in the business of getting out of untangling that blueness of of, of, yeah. of, 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 of making sure that people oh, don't just keep on as they yeah, keep yeah. on reinventing, rethinking, redirecting, right. renavigating. Is that the, 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 point of your book, that the, uh, that is what do you want that, to be when you grow old
1: there. The point is, yes, that is true. And the point is, it says the path of purposeful aging. And so there is a path and there are practices. Everybody's an experiment of one, and they get to do it on their own terms. And we share some simple practices for people. One of those practices is a, a little post-it practice where uh, when people say, oh, you know, this purpose thing's too big for me. It's too complex. And I said, it's really not at all. It's too There's purple, only two- Richard. I think you've got to get rid of the purple. <laughs> no. Well, okay. Well, that's part of my brand. But so... Um, and the but the, the little post it that I suggest that uh, is to write. There's a universal purpose. It's only two words, grow and give. That's it. If you get up every morning and you grow and give, you're on the path of purposeful Sounds living a, or purposeful uh, aging,
0: religious to me. What's your uh, relationship with yeah. monotheistic yeah. religions? Is, is there yeah. an association or is this an entirely secular way of living? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, again, it's I, I'm not deferring, but it's both. Uh, I, when I wrote the Power of Purpose, new edition, third edition, the last chapter is "Can Science Explain Purpose?" And uh, what I did was uh, I actually went into the seminary for a year to study purpose in world religions, and I found that every world religion talks about purpose, and they talk about perhaps they read your books. <laughs> well. But most of the time, it's secular for people who have a mindset that they want to live a good life and a positive life. So grow and give. If you put a little post-it on your mirror tomorrow morning and you say, grow and give, how am I going to grow and give today? And then it's at the end of the day, before,
0: if, if there is a faith, it's in science. As it happens, Richard. Um, yeah. Later this morning, I'm interviewing a woman called Melinda Wenner uh, Wenner Moyer, who has a new book out. It's the other end of the spectrum, How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Arseholes, Science-Based Strategies for Better Parenting from Tots to Teens. I'm curious, in all seriousness, um, old age and childhood are intimately bound up with one another. In your research and conversations and thinking about this, do you find that people who most comfortably understand what they want to be when they grow old? Have they had quote unquote successful childhoods?
1: Have they been raised correctly? Not necessarily, but they've usually had some sort of uh wake up call or some sort of trigger event in their life facing death or divorce or illness or something. My mentor back, Andrew, in 1968 was Viktor Frankl. I spent a week with Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, was in three concentration camps, survived, although his family did not, came out, weighed 87 pounds, went back to Vienna, wrote Man's Search for Meaning in nine days. And I spent a week with him and it changed my life forever because he said the last of the human freedoms is choice. It's to choose what you want your life to be about, regardless of the circumstances you're in. So we all have circumstances and we all can say, well, yeah, what about me? I'm a certain age or a certain health or a certain, we have stories in the book about people who have got major health, health challenges and they're still living very purposeful lives. And so um, for Frankel, the transformation for me was this whole idea that between stimulus, something happens and your response, your choice, there's a, there's a choice point here, and you can choose. For him, he, uh, he didn't say that this is the exact reason he survived the concentration camp, Andrew, but he said that he could get up in the morning and give somebody else hope, a hug, a kind word, a crust of bread. He could envision a future, something beyond himself. So the one thing that connects your question about theology or religion and secular life is, that it's always, purpose is always about making a contribution to life in community, in family. It's about, not about self-absorption, it's about making a connection with others.
0: Yeah, uh, so it's unlocking the power of purpose. Right. One one person perhaps who might be a model for for your argument is uh, Joe Biden. Uh, Here's a headline this morning from the Times, Joe Biden won't stop surprising us, He's surprised Many of us, including myself, I yeah. don't expect him to be so dynamic and energetic. Do you think, and you said this earlier, some of the people who best understand growing old and learn and living purposely are those who have lived through tragedy. Do you think there's something in that when it comes to Biden, given the number of tragedies that he's lived through? Absolutely.
1: You know, my favorite quote uh, is from the American essayist E.B. White, who said this, Andrew, he said, I arise in the morning, torn between a desire to save the world and a desire to savor the world. This makes it hard to plan the day. Well, I think with Biden, when he shows up, he's about saving and savoring both. It's not just about a cause or something like that. It's, it's who he is and it's what he's experienced. And as a result of that, he can um, identify with, if you will. I haven't met him, I would love to meet him, but he's talked about purpose often over the, over his life. And obviously the tragic death of his wife and kids um, was, uh, you know, a a big part of that. So I think that's, but purpose is, as I said, if you put that posted on, it's about growing and giving, and it's about giving. I think he's giving in ways that he knows how to do, given his life experience.
0: Do you think the countercultural generation m- made a huge mistake? Um, I mentioned uh, uh, the Who's My Generation, famous, uh, famous yeah. song, which, as I said, articulated how hope, hope I die before I get old. This this cult of youth was also articulated by Dylan in his great song, Forever Young, yep. perhaps uh, someone needs to write a song forever old. Um, Is there a need for a a cultural recalibration when it comes to our sense of age um, and our challenge to this cult of youth and youthfulness?
1: Well, I would, of course, argue yes. If you just look at the demographics, there's 76 million people over the age of 65 and growing exponentially. And so uh, it's not that they're just forming the new narrative but I think if we're living older and longer we need to to figure out what holistically how to grow whole not just old and growing whole means to look at parts of ourselves that we you know we can't just keep looking looking in the rearview mirror we need to look in the windshield which is bigger than the rearview mirror at what are the real possibilities in the next phase of uh of, of life and what we found um you might have uh, I mean you you're an amazing interviewer, to be frank. Yeah, I'm sure lately, you say that
0: to all the girls, Richard. Don't I, you?
1: I, I have never said that to anybody, uh, actually, before. Uh, these are things that you bring up. Well, you're very kind. Very, very thoughtful. But my, my point is that as we look in, in the windshield and look at the real possibilities, there's something called the U-curve of happiness. Jonathan Rauch wrote a yeah. Great Jonathan
0: book. has actually been on the show recently, yeah. and he, his book is a very influential book. Uh, as you say, he he argued that we get happier, I think, after we're fifty.
1: Yeah, and I'm in that book, story wise, and I endorse that book both because the research on it, the science is quite strong worldwide, and the the Gallup research on aging and work, et cetera, is all. I mean, we're we're now seeing uh, a mega shift in possibilities to that uh, are anti-ageism. Ageism Ageism is still alive and well, but it's changing in a lot of ways just because of sheer uh, demographics. And so one of the chapters in this book is, am I having a late-life crisis? And it used to be the midlife crisis, but as we're living longer, a late-life crisis is, well, as I look through the windshield not just the rear view mirror, what are the real possibilities? How do I think and who are the people I want to be with and where do I want to live and all, all, all of that? Um, during the pandemic, Zillow had 19 some billion hits of people looking at where they might want to live. And of the people who were working at home, according to the, the um, real estate cafe in Boston that I did an interview with recently, 46% of the people working at home are looking at not wanting to work where they're working any longer. They, if they can live anywhere, maybe they can work anywhere. And so, you know, there's a lot of shift going on right now that I'm looking at, you're looking at that, yeah, I mean, you can look at the science, but it, a lot of it is, is just a, a current narrative that you're reporting on.
0: Yeah, your, your, your book talks about preparing in some ways to die, about the music carrying on. Yeah, um, the issue of mortality of course is a uh, one of the, the perennial themes it's perhaps the perennial theme of the of, of human existence unlike all other species yeah we understand that we will die i'm talking to you from silicon valley richard where yeah. some yeah. people the peter teals the ray Kurzweils yeah. uh-huh. of the world believe that we may indeed one day become immortal is that a yeah. um uh, perhaps a, a sacrilegious idea, particularly in terms of your notion uh, of unlocking uh, the power uh, of purpose. Uh, if we did indeed live uh, forever, would your thinking become redundant? Would purpose itself become pointless?
1: I don't think so, but I mean, that's, I, I mean, I think the 1% that they represent should be spending their money on how to age purposefully and positively as opposed to just living longer. I mean, the, the end of our book, we, uh, we talk about how will my music play on and the ultimate conversation, which David and I are very forthright about our own dying, et cetera. Uh, and often when we face death and face an end, it makes life more precious, makes life more current on a day, uh, day-to-day basis, as we say. And uh, so uh, I, don't, I, I don't think the point is to age another 10 or 15 or 20 years. I mean, that's maybe their interest and that's their passion, and so be it for, for them. But for the majority of people, there's a story in this book, which is very powerful story, I think, for many. Uh, you're in Silicon Valley. I'm in Minnesota. Uh, just yesterday, the president of the Senate in Minnesota said he has ALS. And he didn't tell about it, that he had ALS because he wanted to uh, live life in the Senate without having someone, oh, you know, he's not going to be around and all, all of that. The story in the book is about Ed Rapp. Ed Rapp is, was uh, destined within a couple of years to be the president of Caterpillar, the big earth moving company. He was one of the three presidents of their divisions. And I worked with Ed for a long time and knew him very well and uh worked with, with Caterpillar, and Ed at age 57 was diagnosed with, AL, with by Mayo Clinic with ALS. He immediately retired. And rather than just go home and, and uh, pack it in, he created a, a foundation which has raised almost $15 million for ALS research. It, but the point is this, Andrew, every single morning, Ed, who lives in Raleigh, North Carolina, is retired now, gets up and uh, has a phone call at eight o'clock in the morning with somebody who was just diagnosed with ALS, somebody who's never going to meet, could be anywhere in the world, but he's given out his name and number to through his foundation, et cetera, to give them some sense of what's it like to live with ALS. And he says, Richard, don't write a pitiful story about me. Write a positive story about me in your book, which I did. And he said, you know, because this is the good life. I get up every day. I get to help somebody. It makes me feel so good. He's a very, very faith-based Christian man. You know, it has a lot to do with his faith to your earlier questions. But the point is that, that it's way more than that for him. He gets great uh, fulfillment on helping somebody he's never met that morning uh, who's just diagnosed with ALS determine how they're going to live and he shares certain practices that he does with them and so um that's one of one of the kind of stories in the book that's that's yeah and know, it's well, funny yeah.
0: stories that's um that's how his music will play on lots of people we've had on the show actually have talked about different kinds of music sherry Turkle, yeah. for example the mit yeah. philosopher uh-huh talks about empathy as her music. Finally, Richard, w- w- what music of yours do you want to play on after your death? What, what do you want to be
1: remembered for? Well, compassion is the soul of purpose. And I'd love to be remembered as a compassionate person who helped, like Ed Rapp and others that we talk about, uh, make a choice to live a purposeful life, to answer the question why. And so for me... My purpose is to help others. The big P, uh, Andrew, is to unlock the power of purpose. The small P is to make a difference in one person's life every single day. So I hope through what we did today that I have made a difference in one person's life that would make a fulfilling life and a purposeful life for me. I'm
0: sure it has, Richard. Um, Your book, your new book, What Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old, The Path of Purpose, purposeful aging is a wonderful read it's short like your your mentor victor frankel you get to the the core issues of existence in a, in, a, in in a, in under 100 or 150 pages wonderful accomplishment uh, on top of all your other best-selling books i'm sure this one's going to be a bestseller real honor uh, to speak to you um richard and uh, we'll have to talk again about aging and and and, and how <laughs> How we can all, including myself, how we can age well, wisely, and happily. Thank you so much. Keep well and keep doing your amazing work. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much, Andrew.